Welcome to week 28 from Elijah to Elisha, from Israelite to Gentile to Saint. Um, we're just really happy to be here. This is 2 Kings 2 through 7, like I said, episode 28, and I'm Farrell. And I'm Rhonda Pickering. And we'll just jump right in without any further delay. And oh, well, we're going to give you a little delay here. Give us a like. Um, support us. We could use, you know, your support and everything for how this comes together. Anyway, off we go. Elijah the prophet, known in Hebrew as Eniyahu, is perhaps the most beloved prophet in the Bible. His lifetime is chronicled in Kings 1 and Kings 2, or 1 Kings and 2 Kings, including the miracles he performed and the inspiration he caused and his dramatic ascent into heaven. According to tradition, Elijah frequently comes down to earth to help the Jews in distress or reveal secrets of the Torah to our great scholars. He is present at the Jewish baby boy circumcision, and he visits us every year at Passover Seder. If you've ever been to a Passover Seder, you know that they always leave a seat for Elijah. And the children run to the door at some point and, and call out for Elijah. Look and see if he's here, if he's yeah. coming this year. Which is, if you watched our last episode, you know that's very pertinent because he has and will be instrumental in all of the end time scenarios. Right, and that's coming right up here, but it's in Malachi 4 where it says, And Elijah shall come before the great and terrible day of the Lord and to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. But the point is, is that Jews around the world are expecting him as a forerunner to the Messiah. Yep. The prophet Malachi tells us that it will be Elijah the prophet who will announce the arrival of the Moshiach. Or the Moshiach. Moshiach. Um, I'm, don't ever ask me to pronounce. That's her job. <laughs> anyway, the Messiah. Before Messiah, our righteous Redeemer, he will make his appearance. Elijah will repair on the mountains of the Holy Land and will herald the good tidings of the coming of Messiah. And that's really important to understand as we get into this stuff that, that Elijah's role is more of a visible national role where Elisha's role is more, and we'll get into that. I'm not going to give too many individual yeah yeah it's more individual and more intimate intimate is the word i'm going to look for right uh, towards the gentiles it's more of the spiritual scenario okay so elisha is aleph lamad yod sheen Ein, and it means god is salvation that is the the blue letter bible version I, I always give you my version also god's strong arm over sin or destruction made known being the the strong authority of the arm over the destroyer and the being made known is the eye. It's pronounced Alisha, Alisha, where the eyes become almost ease in the Hebrew. Right. Uh, the story of Elisha is a story of the carrying the work to the Gentiles. Really, it's kind of a parallel type, and we're going to get into that a little more. Being as, being as he was a prophet to the northern kingdom, which is symbolic of Ephraim, who is from his patriarchal blessing in Genesis 49. Flows over the wall. Multitude of nations. He, yeah. Ephraim is, is scattered to the nations. Over the wall of the well. Yes. Patriarchal blessing. Okay, we're going to just go through some parallels here. That Elijah does seven public miracles on a national level, very visible. Um, 
Elisha does 14 private individual miracles, a double portion, because he asks Elijah if he could have a double portion of the Spirit. And that seems like a bold request. Are are we going to talk a little bit about how this period of the gospel going to the nations, this time of the Gentiles, is represented in the temple by two loaves of bread? Everything's double. There's two lambs, two loaves of bread. It's, it's, It's... like the time of two in the time right. of the Gentiles, right? 2,000 years, which is also two portions. Right, uh, and in Hosea 6, yeah. after two days, yeah, it's and, beautiful, and raise us up, right? Okay, so, up, right? Okay, so um, in that, Elijah tries to ditch Elisha three times. Elisha takes an oath to stay like Ruth. I'm kind of giving you a summary of what we're going to cover here. If you see me at the end of times of the Gentiles or the end of minutes, of ministry, you will be given power at the Adam on Dioman ascension, like like Enoch. So we're kind of paralleling um, that that Elijah told Elisha that if he sees him at as at his translation, if he sees the chariots of fire and everything, that he will be given a double portion of the spirit. And so in the end time, if you get to the end of the time of the Gentiles, if we're going to get into yeah, DNC 88 a little you and see show that, that yes. you're a part of this Adam on Diamond. In time and ascension. Yes. Okay. Which is Christians call rapture, but anyway, it's a resurrection, resurrection motif. And translation. And translation motif. Right. Okay. Um, Elijah crosses the river forward. Elisha goes backward over and declares, where is the Lord God of Elijah? I'm going to go into that a little more, but it's fascinating that Elijah goes forward and Elisha comes backwards. Speaking of crossing the Jordan. Yeah, the Jordan. And now I'm going to go into that a little more. This is just a highlight. Elijah crosses east and then Elisha crosses back over going west. Anyway, um, so I'm giving you a little bit of an overview and then we're going to jump back into the details. So what happened to Elijah's mantle? We're going to discuss that, the goat skins. That, that's a little, little Why, legend. Uh, yeah, there, it's yeah. kind of fun, though. Yeah. Why did Elisha need to wear it? Was it placed inside the altar of incense? And John the Baptist testifies these and what, stones. What's with the mantle? Yeah, so it's a little bit what's with the mantle. What's with this whole idea that a, a piece of clothing or something might have spiritual significance and symbolic significance we talk about the mantle of an a priesthood office being transferred to someone else anyway um, i think this comes from that as well well i i i I actually i think let's let's wait okay let's get there later Um, (laughs) if i go into all the detail now it's gonna (laughs) get yeah we can't do the whole class in the summary here or in the introduction here um Anyway, the description of the mantle that matches the description of John the Baptist's apparel. Father Zachariah retrieves John wears thirty years later. It's it's, um, of course, this is a little folklore, but it's yeah, kind of fun legend folklore. Part. Yeah, it's a Jewish um, legend. And then we're going to go into John preaching the spirit and power of Elijah, kind of tying that in near the Jordan where both Moses departs and Elijah was translated, the same as the Mount of Transfiguration. It seems as though God loves to fulfill things in parallels and types and shadows all the time. And you just got to be in a position where you understand that. Even even look for it. Yeah, look for it. I love that. That's great. So the seven public miracles we know and the 14 private miracles. We have Elijah's miracles where he stops the rain. He multiplies the widow's food. He restores the widow's son to life. 
calls down fire from Mount Carmel, restores rain to the land, calls down fire on the soldiers, which I really hit hard last time. Um, kind of... Just, just because kind of an end time scenario. Yeah, a just bit there, because in Revelation bit. eleven it says that these two witnesses in the end time have power to fire. call down fire you yeah, know, on their gonna, enemies, and yeah. that's Elijah. You know, absolutely. It's these things. I love these stories in the sense that they are a story that can, you can take faith from in these crazy times we live in. And I, I was listening to a a um, radio talk show, and the craziness that's starting to take place all over the world is just unbelievable where they're stopping farmers from farming where they're doing so many things that are going to create uh, the black or excuse me the, the the horses of the apocalypse we're right. actually orchestrating them sometimes right it seems on purpose it's almost crazy and, um, and bringing on famine like in the time of the That's Elijah. what I mean. That's yeah. what I was thinking, the famine and, and all the different things that are going to come onto the earth. But this time it's not really weather related as much as it is uh, Antichrist and and the, the secret combinations. The, the secret combinations yeah. or, orchestrating this to subject us. So Elisha's miracle is he separating the water, Jordan waters, healing spring waters. Cursing jeering young men. That's a pretty crazy story. We notice we said young men. It actually says children in the King James, but that is actually a bad translation. We'll get into it. Filling ditches with water and winning a battle. Multiplying the widow's oil. Promising pregnancy or a child. Raising um, a son from the dead. Making poison harmless. Multiplying loaves. Healing naming uh, the leper. Cursing... Um, Gehazi with leprosy. I hope I said that right. Um, making an axe head float. I, you know, I think I'm making an axe head float, and I'm got Luke pulling up the snow. <laughs> you know, he's using the pulling fork. Pulling up the <laughs> out of the swamp. Out of the swamp. Yeah, I'm thinking max head float. Uh, maybe that's not as extreme in one sense, but it's really fascinating. Some of these things that God allowed these prophets to do that seem out of our box in our day. Well, especially when they're out of our box. You just have to think, okay, what is the type, what's the symbolism behind yeah, this? Why Where is else God doing this? In the scriptures, do we have axes in the last days, you know? Okay, go to Isaiah 10 and Isaiah 8. But anyway, the point is, is, is that these things, of all of the stories that could have been included... Why the scriptures, yeah. these selected ones are there often inside of grand literary structures for a reason. Which is your forte. Yes, <laughs> what I love, yes. I know, you love those relationship, um, or I call it types and shadows. Right, I, I, I love finding Linking. The, the rhetorical links, the, the chiasms, the bracketing. I mean, the, these, these scripture writers were... Tie it all together that yes, way. Yes, they do. Anyway, binding and trapping the Armenian army, um, showing his servant an army, an angel army, anyway, which I love that one, by the way. Yeah, I that at the very end. Predicting the excess of food for the besieged besieged Samaria. And that one should give us hope in the end. Yeah, time. so that's another you know, type that, yeah. that we, we, let's put it this way, we pray that's a type. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> have, right? Okay, we hope that it, he sets aside food for us and this army scenario, which is going to be fun to go into. Okay, now let's just jump to the next one. 
Elijah tries to ditch Elisha three times. Elisha takes an oath to stay like Ruth. I think this is so fascinating that uh, in the story of Ruth, which we've already gone through, where she just makes a commitment to stay faithful to Naomi. Well, and then, and when Naomi three times tells her, no, go back to Moab, don't come with me. You know, this. We have the same type in Elisha, which leads us to by linking and by rhetorical connections, it leads us to realize that Elisha's mission is somewhat reflected in the story of Ruth, which is a mission to the lost tribes of Israel or to the northern kingdom or to those essence, that are scattered of Israel or in essence, coming home, right? The Gentiles, the which we are known amongst the Gentiles. I know everybody understands that that we are adopted in, but from being a half-baked cake. Well, if it's okay, I'd like to just super clarify this because in Isaiah... Ephraim scattered amongst the Gentiles, that, that's going to be your Gentile representation. But specifically, if you go through and look in the end time, well, we'll, we'll take a look at it in our Zenus uh, allegory in the next lesson, what we're going to touch on. But the ten tribes, the Jews, and the descendants of Lehi are the three categories of people that are identified in Scripture as what... The gospel is going to be taken from the Gentiles and brought back to Israel. Those are the guys. And then the Gentiles get numbered with them at that time. Well, so I just kind to of, be really clear with I that. I kind of put in the title from Israelite to Gentile to saint. Right, and that kind of in fits sense, along with our timeline. That's why I say we... we the nation to, of Israel Yep. to the time of the Gentiles. And then to saint. The and then in the time. end time, it, it's amazing that when the this... greater house of Israel. Right, at this end time gathering of this... If, when everybody is numbered either with the house of Israel or not, they're not called Gentiles anymore. They're right. called saints in the Book of Mormon. Right. All of them. Right. So I, I dropped in this scripture from the Book of Ruth to show you this parallel. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back to her people, and unto her gods return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. So this is exactly what Elisha does with Elijah. Like, I'm, I'm, sticking I'm with you. you. I'm stuck to you like glue. I'm, I'm, I'm in all the way in. And to this day, the Jews are when when you have a Gentile trying to convert into Judaism, they're supposed to be technically dissuaded three times. Because they don't want anyone that isn't serious about, about that conversion, making that commitment lightly. Okay, so Elijah, a type of a convert. That's what I'm trying to say with all this we're talking about with the book. Okay, so Elijah, a type of a convert. That's what I'm trying to say with all this we're talking about with the book of Ruth. Right. And uh, in Second Kings two two, excuse me, Elijah said to Elisha, "Tarry here, and I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel." And Elisha said unto him, "As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee." Same wording as Ruth. So they went down to Bethel. And you love that when Elijah, when Elijah calls him in the very first place, he slaughters his oxen that are pulling his plow, and then he uses his plow for. I mean, he all in. He burns all his bridges. He's yep. completely in. From the get-go. The word repentance. 
Yeah. The word repentance means you you, you burn what's behind you, so to speak. Right. Uh, in a sense, in the, where you actually no more go unto it. Right. You turn and you don't go back. So Elisha right. made this 100% all-in commitment with Elijah, which is really amazing. How many of us do that? You know, we all like to tap our toe in the water or or whatever the case is. And, and I admit I'm guilty of that sometimes. I kind of, am I in all the way? You know, or you're afraid to commit all the way because you know the commitment you got to keep or whatever the case is. And you but know, you just got to. This all in scenario is what we need. You just got to keep your, your, your typological eyes open. You know, that Elisha has got 12 oxen, you know, well, what does that mean? You know, just always be looking for, for symbolism. symbolism. Yeah. yeah. That 12 oxen thing. Yeah. 12 tribes of Israel. Just think, you know, it's, it's, this is an all in scenario for the, for the gospel going to the nations, really, it's a, it's kind of a type and shadow in ancient scripture for what has happened between Christ and now, well, and, and, I, and it's coming more typology. I think we lose track sometimes that this is this is a hard mission call for both Elijah and Elisha. They are hunted to be put to death their whole lives. Right. With great power comes great responsibility, which yeah. we... We actually We've talked, talked about, about that. <laughs> that. We talked about where would we drop that in right. that almost fits right here. Um, <clears throat> in spite of the exhortation, or uh, Elisha declared that he would go with Elijah, who was now to visit the three schools of the prophets to strengthen them against the inroads of Baal worship. You know, we don't talk about the school of prophets much, but in the time, in Joseph Smith's time, he instituted the school of the prophets in the upstairs of the new Whitney store. And, and well, there was many, many revelations that occurred. Um, and he had uh, Mr. Sykes come in to teach Hebrew yeah, to them in the school yeah, of the prophets, yeah, right? So many, many things that we are revealed truths. Even Christ walked through the school of the prophets. Uh, so we're, we're seeing many, many types of that. And, you know, we don't talk about that much, but it's a beautiful thing well, and that Joseph was trying to bring all of his brethren Again, this is why along. Moses and Elijah are kind of a team. You have the father of the law and the father of the prophets. That's that's what yeah, you have. Yeah, I love that. This I love that. Here. Which is kind of where we were last time. Yeah. But in the last lesson, yeah. the Moses and Elijah and their symbolic and real role as Israel's witnesses. Right. You know, it's beautiful. Okay. So the next one, we're going to go to, if you see me at the end of time of the Gentiles or the end of the ministry or the end of this Hosea 6 to 2,000 years or whatever, you will be given power, 144,000, at the Adam on Diamond Ascension like Enoch. And, uh, you know, there is, uh, this last week we discovered some apocryphal writings that uh, showed that it might be Enoch. And Elijah, that were the two witnesses. Yeah, that was the book of Nicodemus. Yeah, and in that book, but it had some other errors in it. So you know that it wasn't without flaw. Yeah. But Enoch absolutely but will, he's be, a big part of this will be a part of the end time scenario at the New Jerusalem. Right. And you quoted <coughs> Hosea 6, and I, I don't know that there's everyone out there is familiar with that. So just really quickly, what we're talking about is Hosea, who is going to be your prophet to the northern tribes right before the fall of um, their fall to Assyria, is going to, says, come and let us return to the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten. And he will bind us up. And, and that's a quote from Isaiah 19. And then he goes on to say, after two days, 
he will revive us. And in the third day, he will raise us up and we will live in his sight. So this is going to be the millennial time of two days from the time of Christ's presence here with us. And so this is all prophetically, um, this whole type of this 2000 period of the time of the Gentiles is typed throughout scripture. Right. Now, Inferences we can make about Enoch, according to tradition, Shavuot is the day that Enoch was born and the day that he was translated, raptured if you want to call it that, to be with Yahweh. <clears throat> His rapture parallels Elijah's rapture. We call it, this is kind of a Christian wording that we're not used to, but in essence we're talking translation. His translation parallels Elijah's translation. Several books confirm this, um, and I'm going to rephrase that. His translation also parallels the ascension of Yeshua or Jesus, and all three in and out involve horses, which is kind of fascinating. I know, right? Think about the it. horses and the, yeah, and the horse is coming back. He's going to come back on a horse. And that's kind of white horse. Then the white, Jesus comes back in Revelation. Horses, yep. Uh, right. It's kind of fascinating. Horses are involved. Fascinating that we have this description of horses. Just, just a quick insight on that. Usually, if you have donkeys involved, like it's, when Jesus enters Jerusalem, it's peaceful. It's peaceful, and it's the entry of a king. But when you have horses involved, when the king's riding on a horse, there's a battle involved. Yeah, right. There's, there's a battle so afoot. Just a, a thought as you, yep. as you, he's leading the battle as you me? work with your symbols here, yep. right? Absolutely. Now, I wanted to jump and kind of show what we're talking about here that kind of takes place at the end of two days where God's people actually do at Adamon de Amon experience this um, this translation condition. Right, or this, this rapture, if you want to call it that. We're going to get right? into resurrection or bringing back from the dead motifs at towards the end of this. But I just wanted to share with you the the actual scriptures which in daniel that tie this together which is at the at that time at the time this antichrist makes his big move michael shall stand up the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time and at that time thy people shall be delivered every one that shall be found written in the book and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to the shame and everlasting contempt. So this is a type of Elijah's translation and what this is really happening at the, at the Adam on Diamond experience. We're seeing the hundred four, the calling of the 144,000. Right. We're seeing them that are going out to the rescue in this time of trouble. Yep. And I wanted to tie that together in doctrine and covenants at the same time. Before you jump to DNC 88, I want you to just review really quick in uh, Daniel 11 verse, I think it's 31. The the verse right before that verse where Michael stands. Yeah. yeah, Is, is where it says, and, the antichrist plants his tabernacle between, between the, seas, the seas you know so he's there on the stage when michael stands and says well michael actually stands in response to his exactly, arrogance and exactly to his, and to so his that's how come we tie that time period together is not only does isaiah tie that together in the grand reversal but it's tied together right there in the very last verse of chapter 11 in daniel and the first verse in chapter 12 and there were no chapter breaks right and I, absolutely, and I, I've said that before. I was, right, I'm just making sure that people are following Connecting you. the dots. Right. Okay, I, wa- I wanted to go into DNC 88, and I know that there are many people that hold to the stance that there's two half hours of silence. 
I am not in that camp at all. Okay, just want you to know, I believe there's two outcomes to the half hour of silence, but there is not two half hours of silence. Um, Anyway. The reason that they have that stance is because in Revelation 8, it talks about a half hour of silence. And then here in DNC 88, it talks about half hour of silence. And they seem to be talking about different things. Well, the, the experience after it is different. Right. And so I just wanted to point out that 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 if we and that's why I brought this in is because you notice I said if you're able to witness like Elijah was Elijah's translation then, then that you're means on the right team. you're on the right team and that's what <laughs> yeah. I was trying to show here. You're going to be part of this uh, yeah, good so side. This is what I'm trying to point out here and there shall be signs in the heaven for the space of half an hour and immediately after shall the curtain of heaven be unfolded. Well, whoa, in Revelation, immediately after the preparation the of the trumps of judgment. Yeah, off, it's, it's all know? going on. So obviously this Third is sort of everything getting destroyed. You yeah, know? a lot of people are in the camp that this this is two different events. Well, no, it's two different outcomes. What you have here is this scroll is unfolded like Elijah saw Elijah. Those who are able to witness this event are the people who are gonna qualify to be part of that. And notice Adam what happens Adam, right after Elijah's. What what happens right after Elijah's translation? Judgment. Bears. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> the, bears. The, the big bad things are going to happen. We'll talk know? about that in a minute, but yeah. Yeah, um, and so we're going to get to that. Yeah. So we're saying that right after the half hour of silence in DNC eighty eight, the curtain of heaven is unfolded and the scroll is, is as it was rolled up and the face of the Lord is unveiled. So. If you go to Revelation, obviously there's a different outcome, but that's for the people who don't see it. Right. Well, that's, that's for not the for the Elishas. That's for the for the judgment of the bears, if you right. want to call judgment it that. Judgment and deliverance, just like at the crossing of the Red Sea, are the same event. Right. Was it a good day or a bad day? Depends on whether you were an Egyptian or Israelite. Egyptian or Israelite, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, the saints that are upon the earth who are alive shall be quickened and cut up to meet him. That's the same as happening in in Daniel 12, 1 and 2 and 3 and right right in there. And they who have slept in their grave shall come forth for their grave shall be opened and they shall be caught up to meet him in the midst of the pillar of heaven. And then this big clue giveaway. They are Christ's, the first First fruits, (laughs) they who shall descend with him first. Big clue as far as... Another lesson. Yeah, as far as timing. A whole other lesson. Beautiful typology, but I'm showing you that Elijah's being carried away in the the chariot of fire or whatever is a type for this event for us in our day. Beautifully typed out for us. And Elisha sees it. I have to throw this in there. (laughs) Okay. So, because Elijah, according to Jewish tradition, was translated on Shavuot, and Shavuot is a... First fruits, fruits. event, yep. and so that's all I'm going to say. Which, well, the first fruits is we're talking about is actually the start of that count to the right. 50. There's two, right? It, and well, it's all I'm, the time I'm, I'm in tying it all right, together yeah. as one event, kind of. But it's got it starts at what we would call Resurrection Day and ends at Pentecost. Pentecost, or, and just so. using familiar terms. Right? Yeah, we're trying to just. Type that We're up burying people that don't yeah. have a feast. Hopefully you caught, if you've <laughs> not caught up with this, just review all our videos. Like that's yeah. an easy thing to do, just, right? Just <laughs> smile and wave and, and, and keep watching. You'll get it. <laughs> okay. Oh, so the next one is Elijah crosses river forward and Elijah goes backward over and declares, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Well, that's an interesting phrase. And what I, 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 maybe this is me, but the way I kind of typed that out is Elijah was very visible. 
His miracles were very visible. His, his, he was kind of the visible prophet to the nation of Israel. Right. to the kings, to everything, whereas Elisha is more private and more personal and more the spirit. If you look at the, and, the miracles, they're more individual. And, yeah. and he asked for a double portion of the spirit. spirit. Which is kind of towards the Holy Ghost, which Christ said would come. He had to leave for it to come. Right, and and, we, and even at Pentecost, what do you have? You have the spirit of God being poured out. Right, you know, and in big dose. In tongues of fire. Even and I like this is just my own personal thought, and I don't know, maybe you can take it or leave it. But where is the Lord God of Elijah? Means that during this time of the Gentile, we're not going to see as bold nationwide, you know, Red Sea parting. Right. We don't see these kind of big events during the time of the Gentiles. It is more private, it is more personal, it is more individual in nature well and paul says in the new testament that that the whole reason that jesus was was died and was crucified and and risen again on the third day was that the gospel could go to the nations and with that atonement then it wouldn't condemn the nations for the gospel now to be taken abroad but at this time you know there comes a time when the gospel is taken uh 35 16 from the gentiles back to the house of israel and then we've got more of that outer witness that the outer witness, witness that you can elijah and yeah. the, you know we're talking post adam on the almond stuff right where we're going to see the two witnesses consume their enemies with fire we're going to see plagues and we're going to see massive amounts of um, visible miracles. Exactly. Judgments um, and miracles. Yeah, where the, the whole world will see them. Right. And, and it's not it's not like one is lesser than the other. Um, visible miracles. Exactly. Judgments um, and miracles. Yeah, where the the whole world will see them. Right. And, and it's not it's not like one is lesser than the other. They're actually building climatically and, and we had the law, the time of the law, the time of the Torah, and we had the time of the grace, the time of, of the, the gospel to the nations. And then this is where the law and the grace come together in the grand finale. And so it, it's a it's an adding upon right. plan. Beautiful. Okay, so jumping ahead. And this kind of gets interesting. We talked a little bit about it earlier and we almost, you know, preempted it but <laughs> we're gonna go back to it now um what we're happened to, get summarizers <laughs> <laughs> anyway what happened to elijah's mantle the goat skins why did elisha need to wear it was it placed inside the altar of incense now, according is, to the legend there is a legend here we're going to go into a little bit it's kind of fun john the baptist testifies these stones the jordan crossing monument okay if you understand the story they left stone markers these stones witness okay yeah. they witness uh this time of of their crossing the of elijah and elisha at the probably the same place where joshua did right i mean it's probably a same marker it's yes. all it's all the same symbolic re well, it's a place of the cyclical fulfillment. It's, it's a river crossing, right? It's anyway, the description of the mantle in Kings, First Kings, one matches the description of John the Baptist's peril. For Zacharias, think about that. The way retrieved. the scriptures describe Elijah in First Kings one is he's got this hairy mantle and everything, and and it's it's matching the way John the Baptist is being described. And we have modern scripture who tells Let's us that, that John's 
um, was referred to as an Elisha. Well, they uh, thought he was the yeah, Elisha. Yeah, are you Elisha? I mean, they actually, I guess that's New Testament there, where he's actually being referred to as, are you Elisha? Um, and John wears 30 years later this supposedly mantle of Elijah. And I think it goes deeper than that, but I this is total conjecture on my part. There is nothing to back this up. But it seems as though this mantle garment that was wore was even handed down conceptually from the time of Adam, from the skins that God made for Adam. Yeah, um, there's a, real, well, a lot of speculation. Oh, it is conjecture, that. but it, it's logically passes right through. and and there's there's the all the apocryphal writings that also say that um it was ham ham stole that garment yeah. that mantle from noah which is what got his son his posterity canaan cursed because which is a fascinating because conjecture this, i guess this, this mantle this garment this important symbol of power and, and just, authority just think about the story of the garden when God makes it for Adam, okay, that's probably pretty special. Right. Okay, and maybe, just maybe, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to say that's true. But this story, um, this uh, traditional this legend story, of legend this mantle being passed is, uh, down. It's kind of right? a fascinating story. Yeah. So let's just look at mantle, the Aleph Dalad Resh Talav, um, which is uh, the leader's pathway of the sign of the sun's covenant. Um, but this word mantle, what really is it? Um, it's a prophetic covering. I love that. Okay, uh, that's right out of Blue Letter Bible. I didn't come up with that. That's right, the last line there in Blue Letter Bible. Prophetic covering, glory, cloak, uh, mantle. Big word, garment um, in Blue Letter Bible. In yeah. Garment, you know. and So this prophetic covering, uh, this garment that is spoken of in Blue Letter Bible. Okay, it's... Uh, pronounced Adareth, which is basically just this Aleph Def Reshtov, which is the sign of the covenant. Um, okay, so this mantle as uh, both Elijah and Elias obviously used. Elisha. Elisha, you're right. I'm sorry. Get, <laughs> no, it's, it's important. You said Elias, and it's really important because a lot of people mix up Elias, the, Elisha. the calling of an Elias to, according to Prophet Joseph Smith, to try to establish Zion. It's the mission of an Elias. And so that would apply to a lot of prophets. But Elisha is not an office. He's a person. Elijah and Elisha. Right. Okay, but Elias is kind of a position. Right. Which they, Elisha probably fulfilled. Uh, yeah, there's yeah probably John many the Baptist did. Yeah, there's you know, many of them. John the Revelator in right. DC 77. You know, there, anyway. there's a lot of people who have tried to establish Zion. So I'm, I'm kind of hitting this mantle thing, but maybe I'm overhitting it. But anyway, I'm just showing you that it's it's really kind of cool how um, there seems to be a type for um, for a, a mantle that was actually like an animal skin or, you know, that passed right. through. And there's there's incongruencies in the legend, like if it was hidden in the, uh, if they had stored the mant Elijah's mantle in the Ark of the of in the, the altar of incense, then when Solomon's temple got well, destroyed, go how would it be there when John Zacharias goes there, you know, in, in the time of Christ? I think so, I have slides on do you this. Have a, do you have an idea about that? 
I'm sorry, I got how how ahead it could if they put it in according to the legend, they put the mantle in the altar of incense, and that when Zachariah was in the temple, he retrieved it, and then he, and then John the Baptist was wearing yeah, that, that's his mantle. Yeah. But there's the you know folklore. wait a minute, how did it make it from the destruction of Solomon's temple into the second temple there? So. You know, there's well, there's totally a lot of those things all. went to Babylon and back, so who knows? Maybe uh, I'm, not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to out get <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, so it is kind of a long shot. Um, so we have a few personal, or we have few personal details about Elijah. He's introduced as a Tishite from Gilead, uh, the region east of Jordan. He is neither a royal court nor a sanctuary prophet. Now, that's an interesting concept that there's the Royal well, Isaiah was a royal He's, court. He, he came I from I kind of look at that like Samuel the Lamanite. Uh, Samuel the Lamanite's kind of a, I don't it's know. somebody from nowhere. <laughs> yeah, he kind of comes in and <laughs> makes his, makes his yeah. prophecy and comes in and leaves. And so it almost seems like there's a little type for that. <clears throat> I mean, I'm sure if we had his genealogy. We, we sure, there's connections, there would I'm be sure. Connections, it's just but we don't have them. We don't have them, right? Right, right. exactly. He is neither a royal court nor a sanctuary prophet. He has gained his reputation for exclusiveness. Elusiveness. Elusiveness. Yeah. Sorry about that. Sometimes the eye sees what it wants to. <laughs> Moving as the spirit of Yahweh directs, Yodhe <clears throat> He is characterized as a hairy man wearing a girdle of leather around his loins. So that's a similar description of John the, John the Baptist. Baptist. So, yeah, there's some stuff there. So, this tradition we're talking about. Um, is the mystery why walk 20 miles to near John the Baptist? Right. Why was John preaching at the Jordan crossing? Yeah, it's kind of a fascinating thing. Yeah, there are some hints yeah, there. It's, that... it's, it's fun. Um, definitely not doctrinal, but it's fun to see to the, look at the, the possible legends. connection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when Elisha died, the mantle's placed in a compartment. This is the This is the this legend. Is the legend. You know, it's placed in a compartment of the altar of incense where Zechariah retrieves an inoculation of John the Baptist. He is instructed to... Renunciation. Did I say that? Totally wrong. <laughs> Once again, I see what I want. Um, anyway, instructed to remove the mantle, and this is literally worn by John 30 years later. Total... Um, Just interesting what if. Interesting lore. What if, yeah. It's kind of fun because the mantle's talked about and it does seem to have significance. Right. Okay. In fact, I think we have um, folklore of Jason and the Argonauts having the fleece or whatever. Right. It's kind of crazy how some of these things drift into um, secular um, legends. But there again in Luke chapter 1, it says that John goes before him in the spirit. And power of Elijah. of Elijah. Yep. And the presence of the altar is. Yeah, we already in the talked, about, temple, the, we talked the, about the, and the things he, that don't work about the legend. Yeah. So, anyway, it's it, well, at least they're a little hard to connect the dots. But notice this, but notice this that Elijah is translated right after he crosses the Jordan River there, right? Right. It's the same area that Moses was translated as well sure it's and the same so concept. we have john the baptist we have these types that seem preaching to flow through. in the same area that both moses and elijah were translated yeah very fascinating which leads you to believe the mount of transfiguration might be close there somewhere mm-hmm. you know just just yeah. conjecture mm-hmm. um so how does a small story fit within the big story 
If you want to understand a Bible story, pay careful attention to the geography. This story takes place at Bethel. At this time, Bethel had become one of two main worship centers in the northern kingdom. And not just worship, but rebellious, covenant-breaking, idolatrous worship. Jeroboam found Dan, founded Dan and Bethel in the south as his two kingdom alternatives to Jerusalem. He set up golden calves at these sites, ordained non-Aaronic priesthood, and changed the times and festivals, and Bell worship soon reigned supreme. This whole concept of change the times and the festivals, I think Constantine did that. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I think Constantine completely rerouted. But but part you know, of the reason Jeroboam was doing this is he was trying to make it so that they didn't have to go to Jerusalem to worship because then that would kind of decentralize the power of the northern kingdom. It's kind of fascinating that they always go with the with the calf, the golden calf. Right. right. I mean, what you know, this whole golden calf worship. I think there's a little bit of a maybe strange deviation that took place from the Hebrew, maybe. Because right. the ox is a symbol of power. and Well, it's from and, Egypt. It's yeah. from Thor, right? Well, but yeah, but it's also amongst us that the ox is a symbol of power. And, right, you know, definitely. There's, there's, there's symbology there that probably got distorted somewhere in history. But the important thing to notice here is that, you know, way up high in the north, there well, was just, Dan, and then down in the south, just, you know, a couple of dozen miles from Jerusalem would have been Bethel. Bethel. And so Bethel is your center of idolatry in the in the northern kingdom. Even more than Dan because it's more centrally located. Right. Bethel is your idolatry capital in ancient Israel. And so it's really important to realize that because you know we've got Elisha and Elijah preaching to Bethel. And yeah. you're gonna, and in just a minute, you're gonna have a, a very interesting story. We're, all, we're there almost. Are we there? <laughs> almost, yeah, we are. Both Naaman and the woman of Zarephath, Zarephath. Yeah, were Gentiles. This is especially pointed out by Jesus in Luke four, at which moment the self-righteous Israelites responded by trying to throw Jesus off a cliff. Why did they want to throw him off a cliff for talking about this? These um, healings of and cursings or what right jesus says there were a lot of widows in israel why did elijah help these the, two. the one that was a gentile there were a, naaman was a syrian why and all why the people that had leprosy, of why why was the gentile the one that believed and this is why i mean you know you could ask yourself the question why did they want to throw him off the cliff well my conjecture is is because um, the scribes and the Pharisees are very possessive of God. They think they own him. Mm. Um, and so they they kind of are offended when the Gentiles might get a, receive a blessing. And that's and if Brigham Young it can be quoted here, he says that when the end of the time of the Gentiles come, we are going to do the same thing that they did. Yeah, we, we kind of think we own it sometimes, that's right. for sure. Right. Uh, he heals Jericho's waters with salt. This is where it gets into what you're talking about. 50 mocking and two she-bears attack. 42 cities destroyed. Okay, so the there's a legend about the Jericho waters being healed with the salt right there. And that is the the rabbis say that it was because the the they these 
kids, these children that we're going to talk about in the next few verses, um, made a living out of selling, packing in fresh water and selling it. And now that now that Elisha has healed the water, they're mad. Okay, that's <clears throat> that's just a Jewish tradition. But then what we have in Scripture is that actually, I'll just uh, read it in Scripture. It's going to be Second Kings. And he went up from thence to Bethel, and as he was going forth by the way, so here he's just healed the waters. He's he's crossed the Jordan back over um, to the west side, and he has healed the waters of Jericho. These guys are mad at him for whatever reason. That's just Jewish tradition that it was because he healed the waters. And then it says, and he went up from thence unto Bethel. Now notice, we're going to idolatry center here. Okay, and as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city, mocking him and saying, go up, thou bald head, go up, thou bald head. And he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she bears out of the wood and tear forty and two children of them. And then he went from thence to Mount Carmel and from thence he returned to Samaria. So just understand this translation of children here is. Yeah, we're kind of a bad translation. <laughs> we talked about that a little earlier, but jumping right back into it, it's more um, the word is college na- aging up. Right. Well, it, the word is na'ar, and it's that's the exact same Hebrew word used for Isaac when he was 28 years old. It was used for Joseph in the scriptures when he was 20, 39 years old, and it was used for the Sodomites who attacked the house of Lot. Okay, and then it was also used for King Rehoboam when he's being counseled by his counselors not to lower the taxes. So in all of these cases, Na'ar is referring to young adults. Go up, baldhead. A sin like Elijah, where they're going to attack Elijah when Elijah escaped. Were they? That, that, that's a question, because a lot of times, like the city of Eden, when it was translated... It was they were under attack by the giants in Moses chapter seven. So they're basically what they're saying is, you know, Elijah ascended to get out of trouble. <laughs> Let's see if you can. Let's see if you can, Mister Baldy. You know, which yeah, they're think? mocking him. And they're mocking, right? Yeah, and and you know that may be a type in the shadow for what happens right before Adam on down. And, well, know. especially because of Second Peter chapter mm. three, it says that in the end time there will be scoffers, and that when God will take out a people. So that's almost a. Translation, the Christians would call that a rapture event. Right. Which is Daniel 12, 1, 2, and... But but again, you have to take this situation and put it in context. We're at Bethel, the center of idolatry. We're talking about young men here, and they are mocking him, and they know about Elijah's translation, because they're saying, okay, let's see you do it, you know? Right. Leaving Jericho... In the company of his disciples, the young prophet Elisha was approaching the town of Bethel. A crowd of young men came out of the town and began mocking the prophet and shout abusive words in his direction. The reason for their disgraceful behavior was their selfishness. This is until, the Jewish yeah, tradition. Yeah, yeah, this is the Jewish tradition. For until Elisha had purified the waters in the vicinity of Jericho, they had a profitable business bringing fresh water for the inhabitants and charging exorbitant prices for it. They were a hatchet salesman um, kind of concept. They call that uh, hacker. Um, it's, it's escaping me. But since Elisha had purified the water, 
they had lost this business and therefore hated the prophet, Jewish tradition. How to bear hecklers. See that these people had neither fear of God nor consideration for their fellow men. Elisha cursed them and their punishment came swiftly. Two angry she-bears suddenly appear from the woods and charge in the mocking crowd. Forty-two young men, notice we're changing the wording there from children to young men, were killed and the rest fled in terror. I think they kind of corrected that in the NIV a right, little bit. Right. Anyway, so these two she-bears killed them all. That seems really quick and harsh. Yeah, a lot of people have a hard time with yeah, this story. They have a, particularly when they read it children, it is a little bit. So, so let's assume, let's assume that number one, that Elisha pronounced that they were cursed, but let's, let's assume that they cursed themselves by by breaking covenant because that's the only way a curse can come upon you is if you had a covenant in the first place right all right and then let's also assume that um that elijah uh, elisha didn't call these bears out of the woods there 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 was a reason these bears were ticked off <laughs> At, at these young men but all of that being said that that's assuming that there is a real you know notice that they're she bearers apparently somebody threatened their cubs or whatever but the um notice that that would be the pashat level but in order to really understand this we got to go deeper we got to go to a symbolic level a typological level of what's going on here right so you remember Lions and tigers and bears, oh my, from The Wizard of Oz, right? right? Well, let's take a look at lions and bears in Scripture, because we're going to get some interesting insight here to what's going on from Leviticus. You, If then, this is from Leviticus chapter 26, if then you act with hostility and are unwilling to hear and obey me after we've after you've inherited the promised land, I fought your battles for you and everything, but then you act with hostility and are unwilling to hear and obey me. I will send wild beasts among you and bereave you of your children. So this is in Leviticus. This is a covenant curse. Okay. <clears throat> also take super notice that throughout scripture, wild beasts are not necessarily, we, we kind of talked about that with lions, wild beasts are not necessarily those wild beasts physically attacking the people. Wild beasts in Daniel are kingdoms. Yeah. Are kingdoms be. coming to war and tearing nations apart, tearing peoples apart. And also in, uh, in the book of Revelation, you have the beast that rides out of the sea. These are symbolic of anti-powers that are going to war and, and tear your children or God's people apart. Remember that David, and I love this, remember that David kills what? A lion and a bear. A lion and a bear. This is kind of symbolic. Symbolic there too. This gets lots of fun in First Samuel 17. And then it says um, in Proverbs 28, as a roaring lion and as a raging bear, so is a wicked ruler over the poor people. Wow, that's prophetic for the all future. right now then now we're going to get into um into it pretty pretty vividly here in hosea 13 Hosea being the prophet to the northern kingdom okay which is symbolic of ephraim in the last days but right straight in, in hosea he says when ephraim spake trembling he exalted himself in israel but when he offended baal he died so meaning when ephraim 
turned to worshiping idols. Then he died in verse 1. Going to verse 5. I did know thee in the wilderness and in the land of great drought. According to their pasture, so they were filled. They were filled, and their heart was exalted. Therefore, they have forgotten me. He's speaking to the northern kingdom where they're worshiping on those altars, right? Remember this whole bear incident is taking place at Bethel, okay? Therefore, I will be unto them as a lion and as a leopard. By the way, will I observe them and I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps. And I will rend the call of their heart and there will I devour them like a lion and the wild beast shall tear them. So what Hosea is talking about here, he's talking, he's trying to tell them, if they don't turn from their idolatry, the Assyrians are going to come in from the north as a wild beast, as a bear. Right. And tear like them. Revelation. And tear them up. 13.2. Okay. And then in Revelation, this is just an example of the beast being used in scripture. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard and his feet were as the feet of a bear his mouth is a lion, and the dragon gave him his power. The dragon's motivating this beast, and lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Right. Scripture is referring to the wild beast as someone that will come in and, and tear up the tiger nation. is a leopard. Of yeah, a leopard is a kind of leopard, right? Okay. All right, and then, now, keeping all this imagery in mind, there's a positive side, too, because in Isaiah 11, when it's talking about the millennium, we notice that these lions and tigers and bears are doing something different. They're not tearing up the children anymore. What are they doing? The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. That's a wolf and a lamb, a wild beast and a tame beast. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid. There again, a predator and a tame animal. These are temple animals, by the way. And the calf with the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. That little child could be the little child that's born in Revelation 12, at the time when these beasts are rising. Right. And the, the kingdom. Yeah. And the cow and the bear shall feed. So we have a cow and a bear. Uh, so these, these beasts, these lions and tigers and bears, in the end time, become tame. Those that, that survive, those that become numbered with Israel. And the lion shall eat straw with the ox. Okay, so that's a beautiful imagery. that After all this. Yes, judgment. that Isaiah is using about the end time. But let's go back to the story in, in, uh, in 2 Kings chapter 2. Um, this is from Isaiah Illustrated, our book Isaiah Illustrated, and we are reading in Isaiah chapter 37, which we're going to actually talk about in the next lesson. But notice the context here. It says, by your servants, you have blasphemed the Lord. You thought on account of my vast chariotry, I have conquered the highest mountains and the farthest reaches of Lebanon. We have proud idolaters here. And if you zoom into the comment here, this is a comment from Abraham Gileadi, and he says, um, metaphors, mountains is, of course, a metaphor for nations. And then he says, um, I'm looking for the beginning of it right there. Lebanon throughout the Old Testament is a figure for Israel, elite Israel. And in fact, the king of Assyria 
did take away captive the ten tribes, or his forefathers did. And now he has conquered virtually all of Judea in the context of, of Isaiah chapter 37. He's on his way to try and take Jerusalem, and he's been, been shredding through the northern kingdom of Israel. And then it says, uh, Abraham says, and now he has conquered virtually all of Judea as well. Lachish has fallen. I think there were 42 cities that they conquered in Judea mentioned in the Assyrian annals. I remember my teacher in Toronto, Professor Roland K. Harrison, talking about the two she-bears that killed the 42 children in 2 Kings 2. The bears tore them to pieces because they were mocking and chiding Elisha, saying, go up, Baldy, ascend, get yourself out of trouble here. And they were at a place where mentally and spiritually they had stopped progressing and stopped heeding the warnings of the prophets. So they were mocking Elisha, and he calls them sons of Belial, which means sons of the devil, which is an interesting term. But Belial is a construct of two words, which means is not or without, and Yaal, which means to ascend. So without ascension. They were in a in a place where they're, they're mocking for him to ascend, but they're rejecting everything. So if we continue on, it says, um, as he's bragging about, you know, the king of Assyria is bragging about all of his conquests here. Go ahead and zoom in on that one. <clears throat> this is just some pictures of some bears in scripture. Daniel's bears. Yes, here we go. Uh, Abraham continues that, uh, and so they, the children... Or the young men were unable to ascend. That means to to go progress any further spiritually. So they had were condemned to a state of non-progression. Moving on down below, two she bears came and tore those children to pieces. And my professor in Toronto said that the two she bears are Assyria conquering the north, and Babylon conquering the south, and they will destroy the forty-two cities or children of Israel. And so there is a much deeper symbolic level going on here. And as I was, uh, I was actually doing some research on the number 42, and it's pretty fascinating. Let's go ahead to the next slide. It's pretty fascinating that it, it has to do with, um, with judgment, um, the number of evils uh, and the number of, of good on the, on the other hand. But if you take the number of cities of the Levites throughout the whole land of Israel, there are 48 cities of Levites. And there were six cities a refuge. Because remember that when Assyria attacks in the north and Babylon attacks in the south, there's a remnant still. There's six cities of refuge. And if you take that and do the subtraction, 48 minus 6 leaves 42 cities that have no protection. So again, you've got this whole imagery basically Elisha was saying, if you don't repent, you're a covenant people and, and you the are beast, under a come curse. In. Just like Leviticus said, if you don't repent, then the wild animals, the bears, Assyria being represented by a bear, really, <laughs> and then Babylon coming in from the south as a bear later, um, the bears will tear up the cities of Israel. Which is so, history, but yeah. maybe also right. The widow's son, Elijah the prophet, raised the widow of Zepharath. How do you say that? Zarephath. Zarephath, son from the dead. Elijah was staying in the upper room of the widow's house during the severe drought in the land. 
While he was there, the widow's son became ill and died. In her grief, the woman brought the body of her son to Elijah. This is kind with, of a, a review. Of yeah, the, with the assumption that his presence in her household had brought about the death of her boy as a judgment on her past sins. Elijah took the dead boy from her arms and went into the upper room and prayed, Lord my God, let this boy's life return unto him. Elijah stretched himself out on the boy's three times, and he prayed. And the Lord heard Elijah cry, and the boy's life returned unto him, and he lived. And the prophet brought the boy to his mother, who was filled with faith in the power of God through Elijah, from that experience, obviously. Now I know that you are the man of God, and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Um, I love that quote in Deuteronomy, that if you want to know if a prophet's a prophet, see if what he says happens. Right. Well, she knows. <laughs> it happened. Okay, so yeah, she knows. Well, can you go back to that slide really quick? Sure. I just wanted to mention that the, what we're looking at here is we're, gonna, we're looking at three incidents where there was a resurrection. Somebody was dead and it, they were brought back to life okay right. i wouldn't call it a resurrection like a final resurrection but they're more brought like back into mortality lazarus right more like lazarus right but it's fascinating that number one notice that when they're about to bring somebody back through the veil that they go to a private place and then elijah stretched himself out on the boy three times there seems to be like some physical embrace going on here right. so let's just take let's just look at another one let's take the one that elisha yeah. is right here i say that one the, sh the shunammite shunammite woman's son and the prophet elisha raised the shunammite woman's son from the dead elisha regularly stayed in shunam shunam in, in the center of israel yeah in an upper room prepared for him by this woman and her husband one day while elisha was at Mount Carmel, the couple's young son died, and the woman carried the body of her son to Elisha's room and laid him on the bed. Then, without even telling her husband the news, she departed for Carmel to find Elisha. When she found Elisha, she pled with him to come to Shunan. Elisha sent his servant, Gehazi, Gehazi ahead of them with instructions to lay Elisha's staff on the boy's face. As soon as Elisha had the Shunammite, however you say that, woman arrived back home. Elisha went to the upper room, shut the door, and prayed, and he stretched out on top of the boy's body, and the body began to be So warm. here we have it again. This embrace thing. This yeah. embrace. He stretched yeah. out on top of the boy's body. And Elisha wakened, or walked around the, about the room and stretched himself out on the body again, and the boy then sneezed seven times and woke from the dead. Or from death. Elisha then delivered the boy alive again to his grateful mother. This type of this um, uh, yeah, bringing a, back embrace kind yeah, of concept. Right. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating that that's there. Um, the man raised out of Elisha's grave, Elisha is connected with another miracle that occurred after his death. Sometime after Elisha had died and was buried, some men were burying another body in the same area. The grave diggers saw a band of Moabite raiders approaching, and rather than risk the encounter with the Moabites, they threw the man's body into Elisha's grave. Scripture records that when the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. Point of this. So we have now. Now we notice that we had the the resurrection by Elijah, and then of course with Elisha, who has a double portion. There's a 
there's two resurrections involved. One here. after he's gone. And one after, yeah. That's fascinating. We have this account of this. This is Eutychus in the New Testament with yes. the Apostle Paul. Remember, he's preaching all night. <laughs> yeah, and the guy falls out of the window. And, yeah, yeah. That and was Paul it. brings him back. And once again, the same type of ology is taking place here, where Paul went down and threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Uh, Eutychus came back to life, went upstairs, and ate meals with the others. When the meeting finally broke in the daylight, the people took the young man home alive and were comfortable greatly comforted so we have this type and shadow going on over and over again so we notice a couple things about it first thing is that three times he he laid and and he embraced the boy in this in this sacred resurrection embrace we'll call it but then we're going to notice a parallel here with lorenzo with snow with lorenzo snow because lorenzo snow was given a patriarchal blessing and he was promised things in his patriarchal blessing. But remember that this isn't a time where the keys of Elijah had been restored at the Kirtland Temple. Uh, Lorenzo So received a patriarchal blessing from Joseph Smith Sr. in the Kirtland Temple. It includes these promises. Thou shalt become a mighty man. Thy faith shall increase and grow stronger until it shall become like Peter's. Thou shalt restore the sick. The diseases that sinned to thee upon aprons and handkerchiefs um, the and dis- by touch. The diseased shall send to oh, thee. Yeah, just, just like it did <laughs> with Peter. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just like destroyed it, just that. Just like they did with the Apostle Peter. Um, and by the touch, their owners shall be made whole. Dead shall rise and come forth at thy bidding. And this will happen more than once. So this is Lorenzo Snow's story. Call someone back from the dead. Raising a woman from the dead. On March 1891 in Brigham City, when many became sick and some died, Lorenzo Snow raised a 19-year-old woman from the dead, Mary Ellen. Ella Jensen, sick with the scarlet fever. She had predicted her own death and told her family that would occur the next morning. She passed away precisely at 10 o'clock at that time she predicted on Sunday morning. Here's the story. This, the, at State Conference was being held, and Lorenzo Snow, president of Box Elder Stake, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, was speaking. Behind him on the stand was Elder Roger Clausen. Roger Clausen. A note he was handed to President Snow, and he asked that he announce the funeral services for <laughs> Ella Jensen, who had passed away that morning. Raise, anyways. Instead, President Snow announced that there was some trouble in the community and that he and Brother Clausen would be excused from the meeting for a time. They went by buggy to the Jensen home and they found the grieving parents and the body of the young woman washed and laid out for burial. And that is the actual home at the time that Ella was healed. Okay, that's that's a picture. That's beautiful, but we found that. After standing at Ella's bedside for a minute or two, President Snow asked for consecrated oil. All were greatly surprised, but the oil was secured for him. He handed the bottle of oil to Brother Clausen and asked him to anoint Ella, after which Brother Snow confirmed the anointing, saying, Dear Ella, I commend you in the I command you, I'm sorry, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to come back and live. Your mission is not ended. Come back, Ella, come back. Your work upon the earth is not yet complete. Come back. You shall yet live to perform a great mission. So that's three times. Yeah. He calls her back. And you, and you notice when Jesus calls um, Lazarus or and Darius' daughter, he commands, and, and they come back. And You're so right. they, they, he doesn't do that sacred embrace, but it, it's 
it's still the three times as interesting yeah. that we see here with yep. with Lorenzo Snow. Beautiful typology. Um, President Snow told Ella's parents not to be troubled. They all stood around for some time, but nothing happened. And he and Brother Coslin left. Ella remained in her dead condition for more than an hour after President Snow administered to her. Or more than three hours after she had died, her mother and her father were still there watching by the bedside when all at once she opened her eyes, looked about the room, and saw them sitting there. But she still looked for someone else. And the first thing she said was, where is he? Where is he? Where is who? The parents asked. Where is President Snow? He called me back. Ella left a detailed account of her experience in the spirit world. She later married, raised eight children, and lived to be 86 years old. So we have a type in Lorenzo Snow of these same... Of the spirit and power of Power Elijah. of Elijah. And the three times repetitive nature of it all. Now, before we jump um, to this last slide, I just wanted to give a little uh, uh, preliminary that we're headed in... And I kind of hit this earlier a little bit. We're headed into some very challenging times. And in these challenging times, it seems as though we're drastically outnumbered, that the enemy controls all the gates, and that we're somewhat surrounded. We find ourselves in this condition of, of a pretty dismal state we see the, the world going into and the governments of the world. They're all becoming very, very um, secret combinations, tons of things going on. Um, I, I, I just love this story here in Second Kings where the, you've got the Syrian army coming in from the north. And Elisha keeps telling the king that where they're coming to attack and, and what they're going to do. And and Elijah keeps letting him know to the point that the uh, that the Syrian uh, thinks that that there's a mole. A, he's got a mole in his camp. Yeah, and he's like accusing his officers. You know what what's going on here? And they and they say one of them actually knows, and he says, "God, it's not us." There's this prophet Elijah, and he knows what you're saying inside your bedchamber. He knows what your plans are. And so, of course, the Syrian king is, is really mad. And so he sends his whole army down to the city where Elisha is. And surrounds it. And surrounds the whole place with with these, I mean, for us, it would be these chariots were like tanks. You know, you've got the whole city. Yes, modern warfare. And, <laughs> and, and, yeah, I, I wanted to point out that, that we kind of mentioned in the previous class um, that kings were not to amass um armies and right. chariots and stuff and you think well, well what do you do you, you should be massing protection and spending done on defense but remember the story of gideon, gideon. and right. the lord doesn't need numbers to win what we need is him right? he needs faithfulness and faithfulness is it so in this condition she just talked about where this the syrian army has got them surrounded and his servant is all afraid that's where we need to find ourselves listening to the words of Elisha, and that is, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those that are with them. So in that situation, we have the armies from the other side of the veil, and Elisha asks the Lord to open the eyes of his servant so that he will see it. And so, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he might see. And he is allowed to open the eyes of the servant. He sees the massive armies. 
And so you understand that our condition here in this mortality seems so definite, seems so concrete, but those on the other side of the veil are more than those who are with them. We have the armies of heaven on our side. And in the last days, they will all be, be here, yes. Together this with timing. it when heaven and earth come together. Exactly. And, and so cool. once again, take courage because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Amen. And so with that, thank you. Another great session. Elijah to Elisha, from Israelite to Gentile, and then to saint. saints in the millennial day. And once again, day. and once again, this is Second Kings two through seven, episode twenty-eight. And I'm Pharaoh. And I'm Rhonda. And we'll see you next time. Next time. Thank you. <laughs>